day of daylight savings time. It snowed maybe like what, like a quarter inch, not even, and everyone's just kind of really tired and gloomy, right? So hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll adjust to it in the coming day. But the Word of God needs to be open today, and that's what we're going to focus on, right? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's Gospel, Jesus speaks to us about a challenge that we all should be facing daily as Christians. Especially during this time of Lent, here we are approaching the third week of Lent, the third Sunday of Lent, and Jesus is giving us this challenge. Can you drink of my cup? Are you able to drink of my cup? In today's Gospel story, we see the mother of the sons of Zebedee, of James and John, who goes up to Jesus, and they're still kind of confused at this point. Jesus keeps talking about a kingdom. What is this kingdom? They're thinking of an earthly kingdom, right? Whatever it might look like. And so they're saying, In your kingdom, let my son sit. One at your right, and one at your left. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. You still don't know what this kingdom is about. You don't know quite what it is that you're asking. He asks her that famous question. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? Can you drink that cup that I am going to drink? And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, say, yes, we can drink it. And he says, you will drink my cup. You will drink it. And those famous words later on, they foreshadow the death of both James and John. But before we go into those deaths of James and John, what does Jesus mean by all of this? Jesus is telling James and John, the sons of Zebedee, that all of us, all of us, us included, if we want to be his disciples, must drink of his cup. But what exactly is his cup? What exactly is it? He says we all have to drink of it. But it's mysterious as to what it really is. It's the cup of the crucifixion. It's the cup of suffering. It's the cup that we realize that each and every day we must die to ourselves if we are to even go anywhere towards Jesus. It's the cup that tells us that there is no life without suffering. It's the cup that tells us that there is going to be suffering. There is going to be death. But in that death, in that suffering, we find the resurrection of Jesus. If we drink that cup faithfully, if we truly find meaning in that suffering that we're all going to go through, if we find meaning in Jesus, then that suffering is not for nothing. What we endure each day is not for nothing, but it's in light of looking at Jesus, who is crucified on the cross, and us telling Jesus that that is worth it. Lord Jesus, I desire nothing more than to drink with your cup. I know it's difficult. It's hard. It's not a walk in the park. Christianity is by no means easy. If it's easy, then I don't even know why we're here. I don't know why I bother. I don't know why any of us bother if it's easy. We go to Christianity because it's a challenge. Because it's the opposite of what life out there in the world promises you. Do whatever you want without consequence. And then we find later on that when we do what we want, we find nothing but death. We find nothing but sin. We find nothing but slavery to those things of the world. And that's why God calls us again to this time of Lent. We've spoken about it in the past, past couple homilies. 
He calls us to go out into the desert where there is simpleness. There's not much going on into the simpleness of our hearts. So that we can see that Jesus, what really matters in life is the cup that I share with you. And I realize that through that cup, I can have nothing more but life. And that's all I want, is that eternal life. Is that life with you that when I die, I will be with you. Now, James and John both drank of this cup. They both drank of this cup. And we see that in, this, in the life of James, in the life of John, they're both martyred, but in two completely different ways. James, St. James is known to have been the first apostle, the first disciple of Jesus to die. He was the first one who was sent out on mission, and he's killed. It's said in the, in the, Acts, the, the Acts of the New Testament, he's killed by, by uh, one of the, uh, the Jewish kings, King Herod. So he is one of the first ones to proclaim his death. He was one of the first ones to be challenged, give up your faith in Jesus, or die, and he holds on to the faith. He holds on to his faith in Jesus, and he's killed for it. John is the only one out of the twelve apostles who does not die a martyr, but dies at the ripe old age of 99, church tradition believes. So in his 90s, he dies. But each was called to be a martyr. And a lot of this stuff is not too far-fetched. Right? We think of the case of martyrdom, right? People dying for their faith is something that happened long ago. But again, as Chaldeans, we know all too well that's not how it works, that we're still being persecuted each and every day. In fact, just last year, there was the story of, um, of Nabil Salama. Nabil Salama was this 62-year-old Christian man who lived in a northern, northern town in Egypt. And he was quite a well-to-do man. He had a couple uh, clothing stores. He was a jeweler. He had a cell phone store. And so he did pretty well for himself and for his family. He provided well for him. And he was known as a very devout Christian man. And in his city of Egypt, and to know something about Egypt, by the way, Egypt does not allow for many churches to be built. Even the churches that are currently there, whenever they want to do a simple minor like repair to the building, it has to go through the government, and usually the government sometimes even denies the repair of that building. And they even make some churches illegal to even go into and to worship it. So it's very difficult to get permits to build a church or to even repair a church or whatever it might be. So in one day, word came about that the government was allowing for this church to be built in Nabil city. Nabil was ecstatic. He wanted nothing more than to help build this church. He realized that his money was not his own. He realized that this life was not his own, but that it was all borrowed from God. And so naturally, he's delighted at the fact that now a church is able to be built in the city, and he gives money. He's able to worship He's able to repair it. And then, one day, as word gets around that he's one of the major, he shares in this, this gladness that he gives money towards the church, ISIS catches word, and they kidnap. For five months, they kidnap the man, they torture him for five months, they break all of his teeth, and numerous other torture, they torture him badly to the point of death. And to make things even worse, Every time they did it, forcing him to recant his faith, he refused. He refused to give up his faith in Jesus for five months. And every once in a while, they would video chat his son 
to show him how much in pain that his father was feeling. The entire village knew, the entire city knew, all the Christians of that city knew that this man was a living martyr. This man was a living saint. And finally, in last year of April, they take him to the desert, ISIS films a video, and they shoot him. Point blank. They shoot him. Giving it as a warning to Christians to give up their faith, to not put their faith in the government, but to pay the tax to humiliate them and to make them feel as if they are less citizens. That is the call to martyrdom we're all called to have, right? That's the, mar the call to martyrdom we're all called to have. The zeal that we say, Jesus, this world is nothing and that you are everything. I am willing to die for you if someone were to come up to me and torture me to the point of death to say, recant my faith in Jesus, I would never. I would never recant my faith in Jesus. Jesus, you are the only one. There is no one but you. He was called to die in the same way that St. James did. But this let reminds us that we're all not, most of us living in the United States are not going to be kidnapped and held to gunpoint to the point where we have to give up our faith, to the point where we recant our faith in Jesus. But instead we're called each and every day, like St. John, to die to ourselves. Most of us, you know, hopefully will live to the ripe old age of 90. 99, 100, whatever it might be. Each and every day is called to be a martyrdom. We're called to live with that same zeal as a martyr. To die for our faith, to die to our sin each and every day. To say, Jesus, none of this stuff is worth it. None of these sins that I do are worth it. When we look at what St. Paul tells us today, it's, it's amazing because it, it captures this inner conflict within our heart. For, I, for I, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. That is what sin is. I do the very thing that I do not want to do, but I do that sin. To the thing that I hate. I don't understand it, Lord. I don't understand what's going on in my life. But I realize that I love you, and that at the end of the day, all I want is nothing more than to die for love of you. So each day we're called to that martyr. Each day we're called to die to ourselves. Each and every day we're called to be disciples of Jesus who drink of his cup. Who drink of his cup and say, Lord, nothing else was worth it in life. And so we're asked right now to evaluate how far our Lent is going so far. What's going on in your Lent? How is your Lent going? And how is it challenging you? If it's too easy for you, you're doing something wrong. If it's not challenging enough, if it's just another day, but maybe, you know, you're not eating pusra or whatever it might be, you're not eating meat, you're not eating beef, whatever this, these things might be, and it's just kind of like another day, and we just kind of add a few spiritual practices, it takes about 10 minutes, it's not really, not, I don't want to say a struggle, but it's not really us feeling how much it is that we love Jesus, we're doing something wrong. We need to take a step back and say, Jesus, what is cutting off my life from you? If I know that right now you are here, you are here in the Eucharist. You are waiting for me. Here I am worshiping you at Mass. But something's amiss. Something in my heart is not sitting right with me. Something in my life is cutting me off from you. Lord Jesus, where do I need to die? Where do I need to die to myself 
Where do I need to die to my sins? Where do I need to drink your cup so that I can understand how to attach myself to your crucifixion? How to attach myself to you? Take a step. Take a step back. What's holding us back? Is it lust? Is it us looking at others in that lustful way, whether online, whether personal relationships, whatever it might be? Is it an addiction that places other things before God? Remember those phones we talked about last week? Those phones truly, truly distract us. And even have us fall into greater sin like laziness. Which God has given us this time, how, how this time on earth is giving us this gift of life, how dare that we waste through laziness? Is it through gossip? Do we think we're better than others? Do we place ourselves above others? Or do we realize that Jesus has died for all of us? Is it greed? Do we kind of hoard these things on earth, keep them for ourselves, not to realize that God has given them to you as a blessing in order to build up His kingdom? Whatever it might be. Examine. Examine your life. Examine your Lent and how it's going so far. Lord, where do I need to add more? Where do I need to add more so that I can drink your cup? So that I can experience through you, your love. Through you, I can experience through my suffering, your love and your salvation and your light. Amen?